you have a favorite toy growing up? When I was young, my favorite toy was a little frog with a suction cup on it and a spring right in the middle of it. You'd mash it down, put it in front of somebody, hoping they wouldn't notice, like my mom, usually, and wait for it just to go off, right? It would just slowly lose suction and then boom! Now, as we begin this new series leading up to an election, I think some of you are concerned that something's just going to pop, right? But remember, this is a nonprofit. For a church to stay not for profit, it needs to be nonpartisan. And so I, I want you to realize there, there's no need for any trigger warnings in this series. We're going to be talking about the things that matter most in public life. And, uh, and I, I know that people are worked up about this. And so my desire is for us to be able to find a place where we can really dwell with a sense of purpose and hope. All right? Because in election years, it's, it's kind of like leading up to an election is kind of like going through a, a big box store. It plays upon your needs, upon your wants, upon your emotions. You go into a big box store, maybe for the free samples, and you walk out with a, a new OLED flat screen TV, right? Leading up to an election, opinions, ads, may play upon your emotions, upon fear, upon anger. What do we fear? You know, when you're, when, when a, a party is trying to get your vote, they play upon your concern about taxes going up, or on the other hand, about um, benefits being overextended, about, um, uh, about losing rights, or about, uh, about granting rights that you don't agree with about socialism or about deregulation. And as a result, we, we get worked up and we begin to invest in politics in a way that's not good for us. It's not healthy for us. We begin to think that only the government and only our politicians can solve problems. But you see, between the power at the top and your private faith is this whole world of opportunity called public life. How do we step into public life in a way that doesn't make things worse. How do we step into public life with a good word and a good deed? How do we step in there, in between this powerful top and our privately held beliefs? How do we step in there in order to solve problems together? And I wonder, are we willing to let go of some of the smaller battles in order to garner public influence? Are you willing to let go of some of those smaller battles. You know, have you ever been influenced by someone trying to convince you of something and you know that they have an agenda and you know that it's about power and you know it's about their opinion versus your opinion? Does that tend to sway you? Are you willing to let go of yours in order to garner a, a stronger influence in public life? That's part of the question. Yeah, everybody has opinions. Everybody has opinions. And so over the next three weeks, we're going, to be, we're going to be exploring how do we step into public life in a way that wins people over rather than repels them. You see, it's a matter of understanding not just what you're against, but what you're for. We need to be able to move into public life with a vision for the whole and not just fighting over the parts. So we all have an interest in this, this common life, this public life. 
How can we talk about common life and public life without creating more conflict? The answer is we need to know what we're for. We need to be able to stand for, be, to be able to understand common grace, common ground, and the common good. From the Word of God, Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. May God bless us through this, His holy word. Let us pray. Father, bless us now through this word, not only to our minds to understand it, but to our hearts to receive it, that through our lives we may live it. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week I sent out a survey question. What keeps you from talking openly about the things that matter most to you? What, what keeps you from saying what you really think? And uh, some of you wrote back, I'm not afraid. <laughs> but most of you put your finger right on what I thought you'd say. And that is, you don't want to generate conflict. You don't want to push people away. You don't want to make matters worse. So how do we step into this realm between the, the powerful and the po politics and our privately held beliefs. How do we step in there? You know, too many of us withdraw as a result. We're quiet. We're worried about being judged or being judgmental. We're worried about generating conflict. Well, the answer to this is we need to understand what we're for. And today we're going to be talking about the reason why Stepping into that space between power and private is so important. And the answer is, is, is common grace. Common grace is what we're talking about today. Common grace is the fact that God made it all and he cares about it all. And he's working through it all. He, he's bringing salvation through the church. But God is at work through all creation. He made it all. It all matters to him. And he's over all of it because he made it. And he's sovereign over all things. And so, uh, so today we're going to look at common grace in these three ways and, and how it brings us hope. We can have a, a great sense of hope because you look out, even in the mess that we're in, even in the division that we see, in this conflicted age, we can have hope because God made it all. And even though we broke it, he has plans for it. Those are the three moves. So first of all, we can have hope in this conflicted age because God made it all and he made it for us to discover. He made it for us to discover. 
Quick example. I mean, obvious. If someone discovers a vaccine, are you going to ask yourself, well, was this an effort of the church? Was this a Christian doctor? Or um, is, this, is this something that uh, we can trust because it's coming from believers? Well, of course not. A vaccine is a vaccine. If it works, then it's, again, a demonstration of God's common grace. God made it all. He made it for us to discover and to solve problems. And he extends that grace to all creation. Not all salvation to all creation. But through us, he's extending his salvation. But, but things are going on in the world, in other words, that, that are gracious, reflect a gracious God. Now, this may seem obvious to you, but it's becoming increasingly less obvious in our culture. In fact, I just read an article um, in the Gospel Coalition uh, about Generation Z that's losing hope that they can change the world. Now, when, when I look at something that's generational, when you look at something that's generational, we don't do that to type or to pigeonhole or to stereotype. We do that so we can understand what the trends are and we can be equal to people's needs. And what one measurement of Generation Z's loss of hope is simply the fact that that Teach for America, which has become, for one generation, has become a great outlet between college and professional life. To give a few years of your life to, uh, to a difficult uh, context, neighborhood, school, uh, has been a great thing for our country. But Generation Z has demonstrated just a marked decline in interest in such a thing. And, and in surveys, um, that their response is simply that they just don't think that they can make any difference. And I've noticed that too for this generation. There's an increasing disconnect, an increasing despondency. Because why? Because our universities, and this is something I think we need to be very concerned about, our universities are very good at taking things apart, but not necessarily good at helping people put them back together. You know, kind of like a kid when he's young and he wants to know, how does this thing work? And he takes it apart and then he forgets, now, what, what was this thing for? How, how do we put, all, all, put it all back together? See, this is exactly what this passage is getting at. That in Christ, all things hold together. That God has a vision for the whole. That the way that we are functioning does not always line up with his purpose for the whole. Now, this past week, as I've seen Amy Coney Barrett respond to questions in, uh, in the process of her nomination for the Supreme Court, I have seen somebody who has a, a hopeful sense that, that behind our messes is a design and a purpose. You see, she's called an originalist. And sadly, we have to have labels for people who look at something that someone else read, that some, something that someone else wrote, and we have to have a label for when you read that according to their original intent. But unfortunately today in this postmodern age where we're deconstructing everything, where we're taking everything apart, you have to have a, a, a label for someone who reads for the original intent. And that's how she reads the, the Constitution. I think it's a very hopeful picture. And it's also a great illustration of exactly what Paul is saying here. Verse 17 he says, he, Jesus, is before all things, and in him all things hold together. You see, 
God made everything through Christ. And so everything that proceeds from Christ and everything that's being reconciled to Christ is according to its original design, its original purpose. And that he's in the process of reconciling all things to himself. In other words, when we line up with what God has said through Christ, we are part of putting this world back together as it was originally intended. You see, the word of God speaks. And the word that God spoke over this world, this broken world, was Jesus. He wrapped his message in a person. And that person vests meaning in, in human life by, just by showing up, by saying, this matters, you matter. Uh, this worldview recognizes there's an original design. And baked in to that original design is our purpose for the whole and not just the parts. It makes here and now meaningful. It's kind of like that, that illustration, I've probably used this before, where there are three people working, building something, three masons stacking bricks. And someone walks by and says, what are you building? And the one, first one says, I'm stacking bricks. The second one says, I'm building a wall. And the third one says, I'm part of the construction of a new cathedral. You see, the idea that there's a bigger picture and there's a vision for the whole is so important, so important for garnering a sense of hope for a generation that's coming behind us. So first reason we can be confident and hopeful moving into public life because of common grace, because God is at work in and through all things, is simply that there is a design behind it and a purpose to it all. But second, we broke it. And he is at work through us to extend grace to the world. Salvation through the world, through us to the world. Those of us who know his grace, he's working through us as his hands and feet. Look at what he says, verses 18 through 20. He is the head of the body of the church. That means the church, the church is God's presence in the world. Yes, God is present spiritually. We, we say this commonly in the bread and the cup and baptism. God is present spiritually in the way that we yield to the word, but God is is present physically in the world through his body, the church. That's what he's saying. A lot of times uh, what we think of is this range of, of options for the church, a range of how engaged we should be in public life. A guy named Reinhold Niebuhr wrote a book called Christ and Culture during the 60s. And uh, he, he spelled out this range as, Christ against culture, and that means we sort of step back from culture. We want nothing to do with culture. On the other hand, he says another option is Christ of culture. In other words, we're just, we're just here to be chaplains to the rat race. On the contrary, we're, we're, we're supposed to be Christ to culture to transform it. That God is at work reconciling all things to himself. Recently, there was an echo of this, this side of the continuum where where we move away, where we shrink back into sort of a holy huddle. A guy named Rod Dreher wrote a book called uh, The Benedict Option. And the idea here is, and there's some merit to it, that, that we should sort of regroup and, uh, and build up the church sort of apart from culture. I think that we're called in the messes, into the messes, 
And I think there's great opportunity and hope in entering into the messes and the brokenness of this world. It's kind of like that, that, that story about the guy who's trying to save a, a scorpion. He's about to get caught up in a current. He's floating on a leaf in, in, in a stream. And he's reaching down, trying to get a stick to, to draw him out. And, and his friend says, you know, he's just going to sting you. And he says, well, his nature to sting has no bearing upon my compassion, upon my nature to show compassion. There is incredible opportunity for people of light in dark times. In fact, sometimes it's easier to see the light when there's great darkness. The heart of the gospel is reconciliation. And so when we see brokenness, we should see opportunity to shine. And that's common grace. That's, that's the way we experience grace in our brokenness. While we were yet sinners, Christ, Christ died for us. And so we're sent in the same way into the world with a sense of hope. And finally this, we can have hope in this space between the political power and our privately held faith. We can have, have great hope and confidence entering into that public space because God has plans. He has plans for this world and we get to participate in it. One of the most affirming messages of God coming near is, is simply that he did not wind up the world as the deists would say, the deists of the Enlightenment, the Stoics, the Epicureans, you know, people like Plato even, you know, in ancient classical uh, cultures, in Greek culture, the idea was that, that everything material is fallen and broken and, 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 uh, and irredeemable. And if you're going to be a part of something that's, that's, um, that's hopeful and virtuous, then it would be non-material. Well, that's not what the gospel is saying. It says this, Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. That's, that's using the idea of what is the firstborn. You know, what, what's your birth order? Think about that. In, in ancient times, uh, there was this idea of a primogenitor, that everything would pass orderly from father to firstborn. And so uh, there was built in this structure in culture to keep order. So it's using that, that image, this, this, this part of, of the passage is using this image of primogenitor, of firstborn, to, sh to say something. What's it saying? He's saying that there's a new generation, that something has happened, that Jesus in, in rising from the dead, in, in the resurrection, there's a new day dawning. There's a new day dawning. The point is that God is at work renewing all things, bringing order to all things, reordering all things, reconciling in his flesh. And what is that? He's the head of the church. We are the body. Reconciling through us. It is a, isn't it amazing? It always amazes me when people can walk into an old place, an old house, an old room, and see possibilities. You know, when we bought the student building, my first year here. I walked in there. It was an old building. It was sort of like a Nautilus. It was all, you know, there were walls everywhere. But there were people who walked in there who had a vision for that place, who could see what it could be and look what it's turned out to be. It is one of the, the best spaces for students I've ever seen. Apply that to what we're talking about here. It's a new day that's dawning. God made everything from nothing. Can you, can you not recognize, should we not recognize, out in the open, 
with a hopeful word, with hopeful energy and ideas and imagination that God is at work renewing all things, that he can look into the mess and see possibilities where we cannot. Alexis de Tocqueville was a famous scholar who looked at what made America work. He was from France. He came over uh, about 100 years ago. He said, what makes this place tick? What really makes it tick? He famously said that it's volunteer associations between the political power and privately held faith. It's these volunteer associations, primarily the church. We have 385,000 congregations across the United States. We need to ignite our imagination in this public space with the massive opportunity we have to solve problems, to engage in those areas, and not just to have this mental check. There are a couple of reasons why we don't do this. So let me leave you with these three challenges. There's some reasons why we don't enter in with a sense of imagination and purpose and hope. One is that we have this mental checklist that the government is just going to take care of it. We paid our taxes, and it's their responsibility to solve all the problems. Get rid of that checklist. That's number one. Number two, know your circle of concern and your circle of influence. The circle of concern is much bigger than your circle of influence. You may have concerns for all kinds of things, but within that circle of, of, of your great concern and burden and passion, where's your real influence? Know the overlap there. Understand yourself. Understand where you really care. That is a nuclear power plant of motivation to be imaginative and to solve problems. And third, let your imagination catch fire for this world that God has made. How will we build and renew for generations that are losing hope, that don't have a vision for the whole, that are taking things apart? How will we leave things better than we found it? How will we demonstrate a sense of hope? You know, uh, a pastor named Babcock from New York City uh, looked out at that city as he would walk around in it. And amazingly, even in that city, <laughs> he wrote one of my favorite hymns. He said this, This is my Father's world. He shines in all that's fair. In the rustling grass I hear him pass. He speaks to me everywhere. This is my Father's world. Oh, let me ne'er forget that though the wrong seems oft so strong, God is the ruler yet. Let us pray. Father, thank you that you didn't wind up the world like a clock to let it wind down. That you are actively present in us who believe and follow and call upon your name and are being renewed in heart, mind, and spirit. But you're also at work in and through us to a world in need. God, give us a straight path and a next step. In Jesus' name, amen.